Amen. Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. And uh, the little ones can be dismissed out there to the door right back there. They're your teachers. Um, You'll be able to pick them up in the fellowship hall that's right out through that door and to the left when you leave here. Hey, I just want to let you guys know here and online, you know, that I I received a very large donation of about $17,000 that someone wants to donate to a person at Maple Grove. And if you're home, you need to type in, I'm still here, still listening, right? (laughs) And and so I know that you're here because they said I have to, there's a drawing for this, right? I get to give 17 grand, but I got to know you're out there. So you can type in your comments, still here, still listening, or my phone number is 434-284-1057. And I know what, if you actually believe me, my phone would be lighting up right now, wouldn't it? All right, but hey, if you're, you're home, yeah, we want to know you're there. Just let us know you're, you're with us today. And uh, welcome to Maple Grove. Welcome to church. Welcome to, welcome to us, right? Because we are at a church. I, I want to start off this morning with a passage of scripture um, written by Matthew, um, the ex-IRS agent. Here's what he writes. Gotta like him anyhow, right? He came to Jesus, right? Uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, guys, it's time for me to talk about my identity. Well, they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Yeah, there's a lot of opinions about me out there. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, upon your confession of who I am, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was a Messiah. Yeah, this is who I am, but for the time being, I, I want you to keep my identity on the down low, and don't worry, there'll become a time when I go public, and you will know when that time is. And now that you know who I am, I, I wanted to tell you that why I'm here. What I'm about, embrace yourself because what I'm about to tell you is not what you're expecting. And it really wasn't. You see, what the first century Jews wanted was a conquering hero to overthrow Rome. And instead, what they got was a suffering servant. All right, here's what Jesus begins to tell them. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. And it's kind of crazy right here. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. In case you know, that's not a good thing. You know, we don't reprimand God. Some versions say he rebuked him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things from a human point of view, not from God's. And then Jesus said to his disciples, basically, now that you know who I am, let me tell you a little bit about who you are to be if you choose to follow me. 
If any of you wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Those who want to save their lives, those who want to live for themselves, live for their wants, their desires, their agenda, will give up true life. And those who give up their lives for me will have true life. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're in this series called This Is dot, dot, dot. I'm a big fan of dot, dot, dot. I'm sure I misuse dot, dot, dot all the time. And I'm looking at a brother right there that, that knows grammar. And he probably, he's, thank you for your mercy. All right. And, and the, the purpose and the intent of, of the series is for us at Maple Grove to refocus and renew our commitment to who we are called to be and what we're called to do as people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus and who are following after him. And so far in the series, we've talked about this is me. In that conversation, I talked about what is my approach and my aim and my attitude when I stand up here each week and share God's word. My approach is to preach Christ. My attitude is to depend on Christ. And my aim is to take you to Christ. And week two, we talked about this is him. It was a conversation about the love of God. And, and we said that God's love for you is a love beyond all reason. It's a love that delights in you. It's a love that is for you, a love that pays attention to you, and a love that pursues you. Repeat after me. God delights in me. God is for me. God pays attention to me. God pursues me. Repeat after me. God delights in Steve. <laughs> Come on, okay, sorry. I just felt alone up here, you know. And listen, you never, this is something we need to remember, and it's so important, that God relentlessly pursues you with his love so that he does not have to pour out on you his wrath. You see, every person on this planet, alive and breathing, falls into one of two categories, either living under God's love or living under God's wrath. Uh, which category do you fall into? I mean, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like, why would God give his Son to such a cruel death if we weren't in such a serious condition, right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already. A couple of Wednesday nights back, I was uh, picking up some uh, trays of chicken nuggets uh, for Chick-fil-A um, for our youth group. And I was at the spot waiting for the chicken nuggets to come out to me and, you know, staring at 29. I was watching the cars go up and down, so many of them, right? And I just thought, hit me, man. Everybody's just running to and fro. And I started thinking, like, how many of those cars that are zipping by, going north, going south, how many of the people in those cars know Jesus? How many stand condemned as they're riding up and down that road? Maple Grove, this is 
me, this is him. And last week, we had a conversation called This Is You. And I, I had you do something very fun. I had you um, work on your own tombstone, right? And, and uh, you know, your name, your birth, your death. And you have no control of when you're born. Really no control necessarily when you die. But you have control over the dash. You know, what's in the middle. And this dash, this is you. And the question we asked last week was, you know, you know how, how are you living your dash? Are you living your life just for you and for your wants and for your agenda? You know, I mean, we're a mist that appears for a little while then disappears. Are you living your life for God? Are you living your life for him? Are you living your life for what really matters? I mean, we don't want to wait till we're almost to the final days of our life to realize what really matters most is simple, right? Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving people the people in our lives, the way God wants us to. Amen? And, and really what these past few weeks have been, you know, it's been a reset, right? It, I wish I had a real big button I could put there. It's the best I could find, right? But reset. Hey, reset. It's been kind of crazy the last 12 months. Reset, this is me. This is what I'm about. This is who I am. This is the message I'm sharing. Reset, this is you. You know, your time is short. Get busy doing what God created you to do. Reset, this is God. God loves you, and he loves this world, and he wants us to share his love with the world. Amen? Reset. Reset. We're out of focus. We're distracted by so many things other than what really matters. And this morning, we're kicking off this conversation called This Is Us. And really what it's about is we have these banners hanging up here. They've been up here for about seven years. Definitely got our money's worth on them. (laughs) And, uh, but I want to unpack them because they were true when we hung them and they're still true today. And listen, there's one person I know that really needs to hit reset on those things. Me. Me. You know, a lot of stuff has happened at and around Maple Grove since we first hung those banners in 2014. Some good, some not so good, a lot of noise, a lot of distractions. And listen, I never imagined in 2014 that we would go through a year of what I call COVID-19 church, right? And never imagined something like that happening, right? But yet it has, and we need to reset. This is us, this is what we're about, this is what really matters as those who are falling after Jesus Christ. Uh, two passages, and then I'm going to pray us into our message. Acts chapter 8, early church, they're just like us, families, have childrens, aunts, uncles, grandparents, moms and dads. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Imagine that, right? This great wave of persecution sweeps over them, and they leave everything. Their jobs, their homes, whatever they could carry, that's all they were able to take with them. And and though definitely not as devastating as a wave of persecution, you know, but in a lot of ways, you know, a year ago, a, a wave swept over the church, right? And we were kind of scattered, right? And we used to be able to everybody meet together. I could see your pretty faces. You could 
Well, yeah, you can see mine right now. And I know you appreciate that. It makes your day, right? But, but we're able to see each other, hug each other, shake each other's hands, you know, have conversations with each other. And, and we've kind of been scattered. They were scattered. And I wonder what they, what do you think they talked about when they were scattered? What do you think their number one conversation was? This is, this is crazy. But the believers who were scattered, who left everything because of persecution, which isn't a lot of fun, but they, they didn't whine about their situation. They didn't complain about how hard it was. They did what? They preached the good news of Jesus wherever they went, right? And so what have our conversations been the last 12 months? It's like, oh, man, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of the lockdowns, tired of shutdowns, tired of the masks. It's so terrible. I wish I lived in this state or that state, yada, 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 bada bing, bada boom, right? And, and uh, or has it been, hey, you know what? Who is God putting me around who needs to hear about him? Amen? And, and here's a verse. This is kind of for me. It's my new theme verse. Uh, it, it popped up to me on February the 4th of this year. Um, the day I turned 41, uh, no one laughed. That's awesome. Thank you for that. I turned 61. Okay, I'll let you breathe, catch your breath. That shocked you. Okay, but but this I love this verse. This is my new theme verse. It's my Facebook profile. When Joshua was an old man, the Lord said to him, "You are growing old, and much land remains to be conquered." I love it. Yeah, you're old, Steve. But you're not done yet, you know. And I'm telling you today, in your own walk in life, no matter how old you are, there's much land in your life that remains to be conquered. Amen? Heavenly Father, God, we humbly come into your presence. God, I pray for those in this room and those online, God, that our heart is an open space for you this morning, for your words to dwell, for your words to challenge and inspire us, God, to become the people you want us to be. God, it's been a crazy year full of distractions and discouragement and anxiety. But God, we're your people. And God, I pray that we would just rise up to the occasion we're in, that, that you brought us here that for such a time as this. And that time is now, not in the future, but now. In Jesus' name, amen. So right there on top, you see our vision. Following Christ and life-changing community. And listen, never underestimate the power of a vision. For example, in 1774, a leader by the name of John Adams boldly declared his vision of a new nation, a union of states independent from Parliament and the King of England. Against all odds, within two years, that nation was founded. In 1789, a guy named William Wilberforce stood before the British Parliament and strongly cried out for the day when men, women, and children would not be bought and sold like farm animals. Each year for the next 18 years, his bill was defeated, but he continued his tireless campaign against slavery. Finally, in 1833, four days before he died, Parliament passed a bill completely abolishing slavery. Never estimate, underestimate the power of vision. The late 1800s, two brothers. Who are they? Wilbur, oh, it's there. Wilbur and Orville Wright, the Wright brothers, right? They announced that the age of the flying machine had arrived, and 
after 10 years of disappointing, disappointing experiments, on December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers made history when their small biplane lifted off the sandy beach of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And the age of travel, air travel was born. In the early 20th century, a dynamic industrialist by the name of Henry Ford. I like what he said. If people had asked what, if I had asked what people wanted, they would have said faster horses, right? He, he stood before his employees and he, he said that he wanted to make the automobile affordable to the average American. The nation laughed out loud. But 15 years later, millions of Model Ts were produced at a cost of $290 a piece. Probably worth a little bit more now, I'd, I would think. In South Africa in the 1960s, Nelson Mandela, I love this quote. Wow, that's a good quote, especially in our day, right? May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. And, and he dreamed of the day when apartheid that had oppressed the people of color in South Africa for years would end. And one day he's standing before his captors and they're saying, hey, Nelson, you need to tone it down. If you don't, things could get bad and you might even die. And here's what he said. Ending apartheid is a cause for which I will gladly invest every day for the rest of my life and a purpose for which I am fully prepared to die. 30 years later, not only did he get out of jail, but he became the president of South Africa. And who could forget 1963 when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Washington Memorial and painted a picture of a world without prejudice, hatred, or racism. He said, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And although Dr. King was assassinated, his dream still lives on 50 plus years later. And you know what I say, man, I, I wish you were here today. I wish we had his wisdom. I wish we had his guidance. I wish we could hear his voice about how it's not the color of our skin that matters. What matters is the content of our character. And then there's the Apostle Paul. Here's a statue that was outside the Vatican, sculpted in 19, excuse me, 1838. And Paul received a, a vision from God on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, to take the gospel throughout the world to the Gentiles. And he did just that, right? Walked thousands of miles on three missionary journeys. Sometimes he went by boat, but that didn't always turn out so well, right? Like three times he was shipwrecked, and he spent a night and a day at sea. But he literally gave his life for the gospel. And there's this powerful scene in Acts chapter 20. And our faith comes from hearing. We do this, we read a chapter a day. Keeps the devil away, right? <laughs> uh, we've been doing that like every day at Maple Grove for the past, I don't know, eight years, nine years. And, and this coming Tuesday, we're going to read Acts chapter 20. And uh, there's a scene painted. Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem. And... Uh, He's got a price on his head. Before he goes there, he meets up with the elders from the church at Ephesus. And they don't want him to go because they know that danger awaits and that they may never see him again. Here's what we read in Acts chapter 20. 
He says, it's now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. He didn't lock down, right? He, he moved on. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then when you move down to chapter 21, I mean, it, it's so emotional, man. It, it, you know, I mean, the elders, the people, they're on their knees crying. They're weeping for Paul. They don't want him to go. And then he says this. I love it. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now what did all these men have in common? Had a dream, had a vision, had a dream and a vision that gripped them and that propelled them forward, regardless of the opposition, regardless of the odds. I've always appreciated this definition of the a vision. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. For Henry Ford, it was a picture of a future where a Model T sat in the driveway of every butcher, baker, and candlestick maker, right? For John Adams, it was a picture of a future where America was free and independent. For Dr. King, it was a picture of a future where two children could be on the playground on a seesaw, one black and one white, and be totally oblivious to the color of each other's skin. To the Apostle Paul, it was a vision of a future where people throughout the entire world would be surrendering their life to Jesus Christ and finding freedom and peace. Understand, vision is what gives significance to the otherwise meaningless task of our lives. You see, it's not always about what we're doing, but why we're doing it. I mean, you take the minute details of everyday life and you put them into the boiling pot of a God-ordained vision and stir them up, and before you know it, you have purpose, meaning, adrenaline, significance, and power. See, it's a difference between filling bags of dirt for no reason at all or, or filling bags of dirt to build a barrier to save a city. I mean, there's nothing glamorous about filling bags of dirt. But there is something awesome about saving a city. Amen? And that's why vision is so important. And that's why sometimes we have to hit reset. Because when vision leaks out in life and in ministry... Sometimes it feels like all you're doing is filling bags of dirt, right? Ever feel that way? That you're just shoveling bags of dirt for no reason. That you're just teaching those children, you're just teaching those students, you're just singing a song, you're just playing an instrument, you're just working a soundboard, you're just doing yard work, you're just painting a wall, you're just making some slides, you're just preaching a message, you're just teaching a Zoom study, you're just setting up some chairs, you're just cleaning a toilet. But when you take those same routines, those same responsibilities, and you view them through the lens of vision, everything looks different. 
Everything is different. See, vision brings our world into focus. Vision, vision turns chaos into order and enables you to see everything different, approach everything different. Vision empowers you and me to keep shoveling dirt, even though our back is sore and our hands are blistered. Even when we have not even seen one drop of water fall from the sky yet. Because we know that what we're doing is in order to save a city, is in order to serve the king. Amen? Amen? All right. I want to talk about vision, not about Model T's or airplanes, but about the church, the body and bride of Christ, the hope of the world. Now, church has been part of my life as long as I can remember. As a small child, church is where my mom woke me up, made me go to church. Every now and then, I put a robe on and I lit some candles, and that was about it. As a teenager, my mom stopped waking me up to go to church. Matter of fact, as soon as I heard the tires on the gravel backing out of the driveway, I got out of bed after faking that I was asleep and she couldn't wake me up because I didn't want to go. It seemed irrelevant. And the people there seemed strange, and they seemed to be people who were against everything, even including me. As a young adult, church was where I first began to investigate Christ. It's where the Bible became alive to me. It's where I surrendered to Christ. It's where I began to serve and to give, and it's where I eventually decided, hey, I need to leave my career in the Navy and and to go into ministry. And as a pastor for 29-plus years, church has been many things. It's been a place of my greatest joys and my greatest sorrows, my greatest hope and my my greatest hurt, my greatest passion and my greatest frustration, my greatest friendships and my greatest betrayals. Yeah, like many of you have experienced the awesome and beautiful and the bad and ugly of the church. Uh, But listen, despite all that, church has been a place ultimately where a dream was born. A dream to be the church fully. To really be that city on the hill. To really be the hope of the world. Listen, I can tell you this morning, February the 28th, 2021, that after, even after all these years of twists and turns, joys and sorrows, victories and struggles, setbacks and defeat, the vision of the church being the church that God placed in my heart decades ago still beats in my chest. And praise God, it'll never die. I know some of you have experienced the same up and down journey. And you still have that same dream. You know I know that? Because you're here in this room. Because you're here watching online. And and for me, that, that dream really was born when I began to look at the church we see in the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It it never gets old. I mean, from 11 scared men locked behind closed doors, they formed a community of believers that turned the world upside down. I mean, they literally took down the Roman Empire without raising a shield or lifting a sword. Uh, These people, this church, they were radically devoted to God. 
Whatever God told them to do, they did. Whatever God told them to stop doing, they stopped doing. Wherever God told them to go, they went. And when a government told them to stop talking about Jesus or die, many of them chose death by the thousands. This church, these people loved each other in radical kinds of ways. They, they took off masks and they shared lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian community. Those who had more shared with those who had less until socioeconomic barriers melted away and they related to one another in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers offered a vision of life that was so beautiful it took those watching's breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so compassionate, so dynamic, so authentic, so real, that the world could not resist. And Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, the Lord added to their number every day. Imagine being part of a church like that. Imagine being part of that kind of city on the hill. May for grow, this is who we want to be. This is who we want to become. This is what we want to drive us. And for that to happen, we need a, a compelling vision, a picture of the future that produces passion. There it is, right at the top of the banner, fallen Christ and life-changing community. In your notes or in your mind, just circle those two words, life-changing Understand the gospel is all about change. God saved us in order to change us. And for one thing, to change our relationship with him, right? From lost to found, from wrath to grace, from aliens to adopted. God saved you to change who you are. He saved you to change who you can become. He changed you to change where you will spend forever. And he changed you to change how you see and engage this world that he so loves. God saved you to change you. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he talked about change. In Matthew 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, change your hearts and lives. Change your hearts and lives. Because the kingdom of God is near. Now, now your version may say repent, but that's re what repentance is, Right? Repentance is changing our hearts and changing our lives. Changing our hearts and changing the way that we live. Luke 5, 32, I've, come to invite good pe I've not come to invite good people. Man, that's good, right? But sinners to change their hearts and lives. And one day Jesus stood before a bunch of older people, old like you, not like me. <laughs> and then he said, I tell you the truth, you must change and become like little children. Otherwise, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, the gospel is about change. Change hearts and change lives. Change for the better, change for the best. Paul put it like this. If, you, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone and the new is on. Ephesians 2.10. If we are God's masterpiece, he created us anew. About change, right? Created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The heartbeat of the gospel, heartbeat of the gospel is life change. 
life change, life change, life change, life change, life change. Uh, Paul says it like this. He says it's about living out a different kind of fruit. There's an old fruit and there's a, there's a new fruit, right? Galatians chapter 5. You can see the old fruit. That's, that's the old way. This is what we change to. You know, we change from anger to patience. We change from, we change from rage to gentleness. We change from lust to love. We change from impurity to the goodness. That's change. That's different, right? That's life change. And Paul says in Colossians 3 that it, the change is like putting on a, a, a new pair of clothes, right? <laughs> Something I, I learned years ago, and I, I probably, in some ways, I've forgotten it. You know, um, there's a difference between a $10 shirt and a $70 shirt. Did you know that? You know, you know, not just the price. You know, and I found that out. You know, you know, when Laura and I were married, she introduced me to clothes that cost more. But I'm like, it's just a shirt. And actually, I have on right here. Have been ever to wear it for a while. Now I'm like, gosh, I should put it on sooner because, you know, I'm, I'm I've been losing a little bit of weight. Um, but this is a this is a Periella shirt right here, baby. It feels different than the ones at Walmart. <laughs> it's like. I mean, it's like, I, I was born to wear this kind of shirt. You know what I'm saying? You know, and, and my point is, when we begin to put on compassion and kindness and patience, humility, we're like, hey, you know what? I was born to wear this. And this, this Walmart, I'm not putting down Walmart, but, you know, Kmart, whatever, $10 greed, anger shirt just doesn't feel right anymore. Right? God saved us to change us. Romans 12, 2 puts it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Metamorpho, metamorpho, where we get our Greek word. That's a Greek word, English word. What do you think the English word is? That's a great hangman word, right? If I could spell it, I'd use it, right? And here's, here's what it looks like, right? Do they look different? See, the meaning is that something, complete, something enters and something completely different comes out, right? When we enter a relationship with Christ, something completely different comes out. God wants to transform us into something different. And throughout Scripture, right, we see it all the time, right? The Apostle John was known for his violent temper, right? A son of thunder, and then he became known as the apostle of love. Zacchaeus, right, the wee little man, you know, he was known for being greedy. He hoarded wealth. He ripped people off. And after he met Jesus, you know, he paid back four times what he owed people, and he gave away half of all the wealth that he had. Paul, right, the apostle Paul was trying to earn his salvation, work his way to heaven, and he persecuted the church. And when Paul came out of his cocoon of being with Christ, he became the greatest preacher of saved by grace, not by works, and he became someone who built the church rather than persecuted the church. And the list goes on and on and on. We see in Scripture people change because of Christ, but it, just, it didn't just end there, Right? I mean, seriously, through the years, we've seen a lot of people, right, come to Christ, and, and they once were 
full of anger, and now they have patience. They once were a bitter person, and now they embrace forgiveness. They, they once were a person who was addicted, but now they, they've been set free. They once were a person who was hopeless, but now after Christ they have hope. Uh, they once were a person who even, I know people who were contemplating suicide, but now see that their life has value because of Christ. They once were, but they now are. Change lives. Do you believe that Jesus still changes lives? I mean, do you look at some lives and think they can never change? Do you look at your life and think you can never change? I'll always be anxious. I'll always lose my temper. I'll always say the wrong things. I'll, I'll always give in to that sin. Not true. Not true. It's about life change. And, and what I would like for those in this room at home to do for me, you know, I, I would like to, I mean, we have these little phones now, and it doesn't have to be fancy or huge. You know, maybe a, make a one or two minute video, send me, about how Christ has changed you. You know, the difference, the difference that he's made in your life, right? Because it's easy to talk about life change up here, right? But it really is happening. And the change that Christ maybe made in your life is a change that he would maybe want to make in someone else's life. You know, we do not, I do not share enough stories of life change reset, right? We serve a guy who's alive and well, still doing his thing. Amen? Three quick things about life change, about our vision statement. Uh, Relatively quick. Um, uh, We're expecting life change. All right. I initially wrote, we should expect life change. And then I changed it. Do you see a difference between those two statements? We should, we are. See the difference? This one gives me what? Gives me a way out. Right? Gives me a way out in, in case someone doesn't change, right? Because sometimes I don't really expect it to happen. Well, yeah, we, we should expect life to change. In, in his book, The Life You Always Wanted, John Orberg writes about a guy who attended his church named Hank. I think it's an alias, but I still think I met some of his family before. Um, here's what he writes. Hank was not changing. He was once a cranky young guy, and he grew up to be a cranky old man. But even more troubling than his lack of change was that the fact that nobody was surprised by it. It was as if everyone simply expected that his soul would remain withered year after year, decade after decade. No one seemed bothered by the condition. It was not an anomaly that caused head-scratching bewilderment. No church consultants were called in. No emergency meetings were held to probe the strange case of this person who followed the church's general guidelines for spiritual life and yet was not transformed. Church staff did have some expectations. We expected that Hank would affirm certain religious beliefs. We expected that he would attend services, read the Bible, support the church, pray regularly, and avoid certain sins. But here's what we didn't expect. We didn't expect that he would progressively become the way Jesus would be if he were in Hank's place. We didn't assume that each year would find him a more compassionate, joyful, gracious, winsome personality. We didn't anticipate that he was on the way to becoming a source of delight and courtesy who overflowed with rivers of living water. So we were not shocked when it didn't happen. In fact, we would have been surprised if it did. Are we ever like that? I mean, do we expect people to change? 
Would we be surprised if they did change? Would you be surprised if you changed? You know, I, I think sometimes when it comes to life change, we're a lot like uh, this famous sailor man named Popeye. You know, the spinach-eating, olive-oil-loving, Pluto-bashing sailor man. I'm Popeye the sailor man. I'm Popeye the sailor man. I'm strong to the finish because I eat my spinach. I'm Popeye the sailor man. Right? And, okay, no applause, that's all right. I quit my day job, but I find out they fired me. <laughs> it's hard to quit your day job when they fire you. It's like, anyhow. Well, he had a saying. You remember what it was? I am what I am, and that's all that I am. Right? Can't change. And sometimes we look at people and we say, they are what they are, and that's all that they are. Yeah, I know they still hold bitterness and grudge or lustful, angry, fearful, anxious self, but that's just the way they are. If you ever felt that way about yourself or anyone else, that you're kind of stuck and unable to change, I have good news for you. Jesus can unstuck you. Jesus can unstuck them. Amen? Do you believe that? Life change. We expect it. Here's a verse. God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become just like his son. That's God's plan for you and for me, for us to become like Jesus. And for you to become like Jesus, that's called life change. Life change happens when we are following Jesus. Life change happens when we're following Jesus. In fact, it is possible to follow Jesus and not to change. It's that connection thing. Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce what? Much fruit. I think some of that fruit would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. I'd like to make you uncomfortable for a few more minutes. You know, if we are not experiencing life change, then the obvious and uncomfortable conclusion is that we are not following Jesus. That we're, that we're not connected to the vine. It is uncomfortable, isn't it? It's also true. And listen, we all change at different paces, right? And we're all going to change at different paces, but the fact is we all will change if we're following Jesus. Here's a post I made on Facebook this week. If being in God's presence does not change us, then we have not really been in his presence. You know, I had the opportunity while on submarines occasionally to go into the reactor compartment when it was shut down, uh, do maintenance or prevent the maintenance on a certain piece of equipment. And when I went in, you know, I would always wear a pocket dosimeter, right? You know, see how many zoomies I was getting, right? You know, you know and, and so while I'm down there working, you know, I, I, I'd have to look at that occasionally, and it, it, it went up. It was, it was, I was catching some things, right? You know, and, and, and there's nothing I could do 
to prevent that because when you're in the reactor compartment, you are exposed to radioactivity, right? The exposure's there because I was in the presence of a nuclear reactor. It's the same thing with God's presence. And so I posted that, and a friend of mine in Florida responded, how does a Christian make that happen? Even when God seems distant in prayer, asking for a friend. And, and I wrote back after I prayed, and hopefully it was something I could help him. Hey, Mark, we cannot make it happen. It's not about trying harder. Sometimes we just need to go back and remind ourselves of the gospel. Remind ourselves of his love and his grace. Remind ourselves that there's nothing we can do or not do to be right with him. And then celebrate those truths. Celebrate being his child. And then spend time with him and in his word, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Again, life change is pretty much automatic if we're in his presence. As we know him better, as we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. So, life change is automatic when we're in his presence, but being in his presence is not automatic. Does that make sense? We got to work at it, right? It takes effort. It takes a decision. It takes you and I making choices to say, you know what? I, I make a choice to be in God's presence. I'm making a decision to be in his presence, to, to be in his word, to hang out with him in prayer, to, to worship him, to hang out with his people. You know, I, I'm going to make a decision to try to do what he asked me to do, to try to live the way he asked me to live, right? You know, so you got to work at being in God's presence. And let me just be honest with you. Sometimes you may not feel it, but still do the things, right, that you know you need to do. Read your Bible, right? Don't wait. It's easier. I've said this before, even in relationships, right? It's easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action, right? Now, here's some married advice for you out there. You know, you know if you don't really feel like, feel that love, loving towards your spouse right now, maybe you want to smack them rather than give them flowers or something. Not, I don't mean smack. All right, goodness gracious now. I'm on the internet. I'm telling people to beat, beat their spouse. All right. But my point is, like, sometimes you just don't feel real loving. You know? And, and he, he, you know what happens? If you do loving things, many times the feelings follow. Write that note. Let them know how much you care about them, even when you're mad. Next thing you know, all of a sudden, the feelings follow, right? And same with God. Well, I don't feel like reading God's word. He feels so distant. Well, okay, well, he's not going to get closer if you don't hang out with him. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Because I want to see you in God's presence. He wants to see you there too. And finally, life, presence, life change happens best in community. Right? It happens best in community. I'm going to read a scripture. And then we're, we're about done, but it's still important. Solomon writes, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. That, could you go back to the last screen, if you don't mind? Thanks for really being on it for me. Pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. 
You know, our world is full of people who have fallen. Physically, emotionally, relationally. And guess what? They have no one to pick them up. And that's why we're here, right? That's what the church is for, to pick up those who have fallen. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, life change happens best in community. And, and let's be honest, community has taken a huge hit in the last 12 months, right? There's no denying it, right? I mean, think of all the personal interactions that have not happened in the last 12 months. Think of all the hugs you've not given. Think of all the people that you used to see that maybe they were having a really hard week and you had your coffee, they had their coffee and you're over there in that corner right there and you looked in their eyes and you said, hey, how you doing? And you could see they weren't doing good. And you're able to put your hand on your shoulder and pray for them. Think of all those encounters that haven't happened. All the encouragement that hasn't been given. Listen, hugs matter. Handshakes matter. Looking people in the eye matters. Putting your hand on the shoulder and praying for someone matters. Being in this room together, worshiping God together matters. Taking communion together, it matters. And again, community has taken a, a hard hit in the last 12 months. And, and we need to find a way, you know, to turn that around and not wait till COVID is gone, right? Because who knows when things are going away. We need to do a better job as leaders and as a church to have community now. Some of you at home, you, you know, you, you need community. It's great that you're online, but you still need community. And one of the things we, we're going to um, be putting together, and you can let me know by my phone number or emailing me, steve at thegrowseville.org. <clears throat> we <clears throat> we want to put together hybrid life groups, you know, that... Maybe the Bible studies on Zoom, but every now and then you can get together somewhere, especially the weather's going to be nicer outside, and see someone's face and have community. Great for young families. You won't have to, you know, sometimes the hard thing is you don't run off to life group, but your kids go to bed at 8. And you, it makes it rough. Well, if you're doing it online, and then you have social events in person and service projects in person, you get the benefit of both things. So if you're interested in that, you know, let me know, fill out a connection card, grab me, whatever, you know, but we have to find a way to do community. You know, everybody listen online, you know, I, I hope you sign up to be part of some kind of hybrid life group because we're meant to do life together. People need you. You need them and people need your encouragement. They need your prayers. They need your support. Amen. There's a lot of things we can be part of in life, right? But who wants to be a part of something? I mean, think about it. Who wants to be a part of something that changes lives for the better, for the best? That, that changes how people stand before God. Loss to save, wrath to grace, an enemy of God to a child of God. I mean, do, do, you, see the, do you see the picture of, of people right now who don't have hope, who could have hope? Do you see maybe the single moms going it alone that now have a church body surrounding them and helping them? Do you see the, the marriages that are struggling and hurting about to fall apart that the enemy once destroyed that, that are actually restored because of the body of Christ? 
Do you see the depressed people that are not depressed anymore? The lonely people that found a family and people who care for them just because of who they are, not for what they can get from them? I mean, do you see a picture of the lives that can be changed? And when you change a life, you change a family, you change a family, you change a home, you change a home, you change a church, you change a church, you change a community, you change a community, you can change the world, right? You know, we're in the business of life change. And there's a lot of people in our world who need Jesus. And, I, I, and here, here's the question. Here's the question I, I'm proposing. Do you want to be a part of something that changes lives for the better? If you said no, that'd be awful, wouldn't it? <laughs> that'd be terrible. If so, okay, here's the deal. And, and, and sometimes it's good to do something physical because we're in a, re- this is reset. This is a big deal, right? This is huge. Like, we need to save people from God's wrath. We need to save marriages. We need to give people hope. We need to feed the hungry, right? We need to help restore homes and marriages, right? This is like really a big deal, you know? And, and, and we're getting back on course. So what I'm asking people to do, you know, if you say, yeah, you know what? I, I want to be a part of something that changes lives. You know, I'm going to ask for the people in this room to stand and online to type yes with three exclamation points, three in honor of the Trinity, right? I like numbers, right? Check yes in the comments or text Y-E-S. Oh, this one gets four, right? You get, uh, okay, I, I lost count. Right? I don't know. Wow, who, who joined the Trinity? Right? <laughs> no one did. No one did. Type yes to 434-284-1057. Again, if you want to be a part of something that changes lives for the better, for the best, would you stand in this room and at home? Seriously, in the comments, type yes. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. Father God, today we hit reset on who we are as your people, on the vision of of changed lives for the better, for the best. And God, we know how you've changed our lives. You know how you made a difference in our lives. God, we know how you have the ability to take what is broken and make it whole. To take what is empty and, and fill it up. To take what is falling and lift it. And God, I I pray that us who are standing and us who are typing at home, God, that we would feel the passion, a greater passion than Henry Ford had and even Dr. King had or William Wilberforce had or John Adams had, that we would have the passion that the Apostle Paul had, the vision of changing life for the better, for the best. God, I just pray that you be with us as we sing, as we worship, and as we prepare our hearts and minds for for communion. In Jesus' name, amen.